Exodus chapter 34. Now we've seen over the last couple of chapters, uh, Israel uh, coming to repentance. They have, uh, they, they formed that golden calf and worshipped uh, that golden calf, created an idol, and that was against God's, uh, that didn't please God. That didn't please God at all. They missed the mark completely on that. And to the point where they were even moved from just creating an idol and creating a kind of a worshiping God, but in a form of an image, they actually deviated way into the whole immorality, sexual immorality and everything else that was going on at that same time while they're worshiping it. It is completely in the flesh. Uh, and they thought they were, they were worshiping God. Just not, that does not go together. And so what happens is we saw the repentance and the restoration by God because of Moses, the leader that God had appointed over his people to lead the people. Moses became that mediator, but also the intercessor prayer of a prayer warrior and went to bat for these people because these people were going to be wiped out by God. Because they were such in sin and unrepentant hearts. And he had to intercede and bring them and, and speak on their behalf just to get God to, to, uh, to not change his mind. But to, to, to reveal himself in the form of his mercy and grace to his people. And he had a great uh, uh, way of bringing out three key points to God of why that was so important for the sake of the people and for the sake of the, even the enemies uh, there who were watching to see what the, the Heavenly Father, the Heavenly God was going to do to the people being so rebellious. But we see that Moses intercedes with his people. And now in chapter 34, we're going to see God's people will not only be restored in the, the fellowship and, rest, and the relationship with God, but we're going to see that there's this, they're going to experience this renewed fellowship with God, a renewed fellowship. Not only can they now come back and to communicate and dwell with God and allow God to work in their lives, but he's going to bring a renewed freshness or renewed fellowship with God through this, and we're going to see it in chapter 34 here today. So let's start. Exodus 34, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets you broke. <laughs> Let's start right in first chapter, first one here. First of all, you have to understand, he brings right to light, okay, you didn't get it the first time, Moses, completely. You got it most of it, right? You got the two tablets that he, God cut out, that God made those tablet stones. He took his finger, God, and wrote the Ten Commandments and other things onto these tablets, right? And he then brings them down, and then he loses his self-control out of anger of what was taking place down in the actual camp of the Israelite people. And he broke them. And some people will say, oh, they broke the covenant. It was a very great symbolism of breaking the tablets, and, and just, so that, just like the people broke the, the commandments. Yeah, you can see it that way. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm jiggy with that piece. But what I want you to understand is that he, that was not the will of God. That he took these tablets that God carved out of stone, took his finger and wrote the commandments to give to the people to, to, so the people would know it in writing. That was not God's will for him to break those. But they did break. 
And I believe at times where we make mistakes, that God allows certain things to happen in a way that he's going to bring you right back to that same experience that you just had. In this experience, Moses was on top of the mountain for how many days? 40 days he fasted and prayed, and 40 days he spent with God on the top of the mountain to receive everything that God had for him, including all the details of how the tabernacle was to be built. Are you tracking with me? So now, because he fully didn't learn some lessons, I believe God says, now I'm going to take you, even though you've been doing and you're being obedient and you love me and all stuff, and you just... You broke the tablets. And how do we know that? Because he says it right there at the end of verse 1, which you broke. He didn't have to bring that to light. God, did you really have to remind me that I broke the tablets? Like, I really fell short here in this moment. I mean, I carried the tablets down, and it was the people's fault. Yeah, we don't see any of the details of how that all played out, did we? But God reminded him, you broke them. So what did God say? We're going to have to come back up on the mount again and spend some time with me because you're going to have to learn a little bit more and grow spiritually to another depth or another level that you never experienced. And we're going to see that. It's not only the fact that you're going to be restored, but you're just going to be a renewedness, a newness that you've never experienced, Moses, through this next journey up the mountain. And how many days is he going to spend there again? We will see. Another 40 days of fasting and praying. Now, you know as well as I do if you've been around. You can't, some of you can't even make it two hours without eating. Maybe an hour. You can't even make it an hour without eating. Can you imagine 40 days with no water, no food, no nothing? The body's not designed that way. But with God, anything's possible. I do not recommend fasting and praying for 40 days, Okay. You didn't hear me tell you that that's somehow going to make you more spiritual, okay? Are you with me? Because I don't want, if you're listening to this, I don't want you to go, the pastor said I can be more spiritual like Moses. If I no, I didn't say that. Don't do it. So we sit here and we look at the fact that God says to Moses, you're going to cut, you are going to cut the two tablets of stone this time, not me. You're going to have to cut them, and you're going to haul these babies up, up to the top of the mountain, and then I will take my finger and I will write again the same exact same thing that I just wrote on the first two tablets. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you the same thing and go through this. And you're going to go, oh, I think I've been here before. I think I've been down this journey before with God. Have you been there? Where you feel like, okay, God has taught me a lesson and then I didn't quite hit the mark. And then what happened? God has to take you back through the... Lesson again, experience again. So here we see that the, the fact that he's going to take and make these two tablets. He's going to bring them back up in verse 2. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. So he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. He didn't wait that night, that day that he was commanded, he didn't procrastinate. He went and cut those stones. Now, we don't know how big those stones were, do we? But he had to cut them. And he had to be ready because he knew he had to be leaving what time? In the morning. He didn't sit there and go, I'll get up there to the guy when I get time. You told me to cut these. You know, I, I was tired the day when you told me, so I waited to the next day, and, and then I'm late, and I didn't make it on time, even though I know you want to. No. 
There was no excuses here, and Moses is not a man of, of excuses. He literally did exactly, and he didn't procrastinate. He got it done. He cut those, got those stones ready, and the next morning, he was ready to go what? Back up the mountain. But God made it very clear to him, so he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. So we, we sit here and we, we see that God is going to repeat this mountaintop climbing experience for him and 40 days of fasting and praying to receive what God had already told him and prepared. But he just, again, this time it will be different because this time he's going to be even more blessed. He will have a deeper relationship with God the second time around. Even though he didn't have to go through that, he's going to benefit from, from it as God does at work in his life at this moment in time. So Moses intercedes for the Israel uh, people. He re they've repented. God restored. Now God was going to renew the fellowship, not with just Moses, because Moses and God didn't have a break in fellowship. They were, he didn't have to repent. He didn't have to restore. He didn't have to be renewed. He, he's going to experience the renewness, but it's really the people of Israel that needed to go through this process. He was the leader of the people, so he is going to be with the people and having to go through this. Do you see that? So sometimes as a leader, as a spiritual leader, you'll have to go through things that the people, having God has to do the work in the people, but because you're the leader, you have to go through it with them. You watch people who are growing spiritually, and then they fall to sin, and they fall to the flesh, and they fall, and they, they, they backslide, whatever words you want to use in, the, in your, 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 your thoughts. But don't you think the people who have been investing and pouring into your life and as a pastor and trying to help you, don't you think we go through those pains and experiences of watching you walk away from the Lord? We experience the highs with you when we see God doing tremendous work in your life and incredible things and watch the transformation take place in your life. But we also are there when there's a death in the family. Or you become really sick. Or, you, or your, your loved ones, your children have walked away from the Lord and you're just suffering as a parent. We are right there because we're going to, as we bear the burdens with one another, do we not? And this is how God works. This is, this is good. This is not a bad thing. This is good. This is what God's called leaders to do in, in, the, in, in the church. Is to bear one another's burdens. And to help and support and be there. It's not easy to be in the ministry. You've heard me, my first pastor said, it's not easy to be in the ministry, Corey. Take you and your barbecue and get out of here if you can't handle it, you know. You know, he, he didn't have any words when it comes to tough love in the ministry, I tell you. But I'm very thankful for those, that tough love in the early days. But then what happens? We see now the Lord ascended in the cloud and stood with him there and Proclaim the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him. Just let's stop right there. So we see as he went up to the mountain, God came and met him right there and again. The, the cloud, the Shekinah is the name, the Shekinah. We've seen that, right? We've seen that back when he, the Shekinah, God's presence at Mount Sinai there in, in chapter 19. We saw when he, he was present with Israel as he was going by day, the cloud covered to protect them as they were going across the, the desert. 
God's presence then, we see right there last week in chapter 33, verses 9 through 10, where remember uh, uh, Moses popped his little tent up outside the camp, and when he went there, people were watching, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a cloud covering right there, the presence of the entrance of the tent. Oh, can you imagine to see that, to watch that presence of God coming down? We see it in 2 Chronicles 7, 2, if Solomon's temple was filled with his glory. Remember Mary, when Jesus was conceived into her womb? Did you know? Right there, go back and check it. Luke 1.35, we see the overshadow, the cloud of God's Shekinah glory over her when he planted, placed Jesus right there in the womb. Beautiful moment. How about the, the fact that when in Luke 9, verses 34 and 35, when Jesus' transfiguration is taking place, the Shekinah was there. And guess what? We saw this when we studied in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, as we were doing the seven churches. We see when Jesus' returns, is the Shekinah glory will be with as well. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But right there, it stood with him. God's presence there in the cloud stood, was present right there with Moses on this mountaintop experience as Moses went up to meet with God. Did you see that? When you spend and take the decision, I want to spend time with God, God's going to show up. God's going to show up. And he's going to speak to you. So you must have the word open and allow him to speak to you when you come to him. And you say, God, I want to meet with you today. It doesn't have to be on a mountain. It doesn't have to be by the water. It can be in your closet, right? Go in and close the closet. Just you and him, no distractions. And he'll meet with you. But here God appeared to Moses in the cloud. He answered Moses' prayer. If you remember in Exodus 33, 18, he says, please show me your glory. And what did he do? The Shekinah came down and met him right there. He answered Moses' prayer. And what did he do? God proclaimed the name of the Lord. God revealed his character to Moses. That's what it means. For God to proclaim the name of the Lord is to proclaim the God characteristics to you. And we will see the details of that. But we see here that God is going to reveal these specific aspects of his character that's mentioned here in the, in the passage here. But Moses experienced, truly experienced the presence of the character of God in a dramatic way here on this mountaintop experience. And when that happened, what does it show here? That the Lord passed before him. Remember earlier in chapter 33, verses 21 through 30, 23, where he was protected in the cleft of the rock? That God had to put a hand over him. So as God passed by, he could not see God. But what he saw was the back of God or the afterglow of God's passing past him. That's all he could handle. Can you imagine if God had not put the protections on him, he would not have been alive. But we see here, the Lord passed by him right here, reference, as Moses did what God told him to do, 
He came up. He was present. He was ready. He was eager to hear from, to experience, to see, and God showed up. Because Moses had a heart of expectation, did he not? He was obedient to what God asked him to do. Okay, Moses, cut the rocks. Man, you got to get the tablets back up here because I'm going to write on them again. And you're gonna, he had an expectation. I I'm going to see God. I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to experience God. And he didn't show up going, oh, this is going to be boring. I've already climbed the mountain before. I've already been there and done that. He didn't have a bad attitude when it comes to going to spend time with God, did he? He had an expectation of what God was going to do. He wasn't sitting there going, oh, this is going to be another drudgery. No. Anytime you are to go with an attitude of, I want to go meet with God, you're, he's going to show up and he's going to reveal what? He's going to proclaim the Lord's name. And how does he do that? He will reveal more of his characteristic of who he is to you. You want to know God more? Hello? Is this an amen more man? Do you really want to know God personally? Yes, I hope so, my brothers and sisters. I really hope so, that you want to each day know him more. It's a personal relationship. Did you forget that? This is not just about salvation. This is about salvation and developing and growing, maturing in your relationship with him because you're going to be dwelling with him for eternity. Are you with me? Don't be uh, this Christianity in your life that is just a Sunday moment. Or only when I'm really in bad shape and I need him to come rescue me moment. But this is a moment where this is a personal relationship. He's my friend. He calls me, my, he calls me you a friend, right? The God of the universe calls you friend. Are you being a friend? <laughs> Are you being a friend back? Moses really wanted this experience. He really wanted to know God, and God revealed himself. And we see it very clearly. In verse, verse 6, and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God. And look at these characteristics we removed. The Lord, the Lord God, is Yahweh. That's the name for Yahweh, right? It was the same exact name given to Abraham. It was the exact same name given to Isaac and to Jacob. It's the same name that the revealing of the characteristic of God was to his forefathers. He was saying, giving the same exact name to Moses. He's the same God as yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen? Why? Because God presents himself eternal and unmutable. Or an unchanging God. Don't be one of those people out there saying, well, God was one way in the Old Testament. Now he's a new way in the New Testament. So I don't spend the old, studying the Old Testament because that's the old God. He's changed. That is false teaching. God is unchanging. He's immutable. It's a characteristic. You, it doesn't change. And notice here. He's merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. 
Now, if you didn't know where this was coming from, if you looked at this definition of merciful and gracious, you would immediately think it was a New Testament teaching. But let me tell you, it's the Bible teaching because it's a characteristic of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's saying to Moses so clearly, revealing his character to Moses by these words. He's proclaiming to Moses, this is who I am. This is who I am, Moses. Merciful, what does that mean? Full of compassion. If you're merciful to someone, you're full of compassion for that person. It's the same words we see in Psalm 78, 38. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his angry away and did not stir up all his wrath. Again, God showing compassion for those who were, gone, were sinning. The word gracious here is giving of the undeserving. Giving to the undeserving. Grace stands for the undeserved. Why? Because it's a free gift of the love of God. That's what grace is. Long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. It means God is slow to anger. <laughs> Isn't that great? Aren't you glad that you serve a God that is slow to anger? He's not a, a God who has a short fuse. He is patient with all of us. How many of us know of people, or maybe it was it speak of your previous, your old nature of someone who was known as having someone who of, of someone who is, has a short fuse. You quickly got angry. Often, usually, you often offended people, or you maybe even are easily offended or even outraged at the slightest offense that comes your way and you just, boom, you're, you're, it's like a bomb going off. But God isn't like that. He's long-suffering. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God shows his goodness toward us in his forgiving character here. Notice there's three specific types of sin that he notes here that God forgives and is long-suffering towards. All are mentioned. Many people don't think there's a distinction on the sin. Sin is sin. But notice here, there's sin, which is to mean to fall short of the glory of God. You've missed the mark. God said, here's the mark. This is, what you're, this is how you're to live. This is how you're to behave. This is, this is the direction I want you to go. This is what I want you to be obedient to. And you've missed the mark. You've fallen short. It doesn't bring glory to God. It fell short. It, it, didn't, it didn't represent well. But with sin, a person could be aware of that sin, and sometimes they could be unaware that they're actually sinning. Did you know that? 
How many times have people walked in here and you reading the word of God and go, I didn't know that was a sin. And they've declared themselves a Christian for years. But they never read the word of God. They never studied the word of God. They didn't know. But once they heard it and they realized from God, oh, that's sin, not, don't touchy. No touchy of it anymore. There's no goody here. So we're going to move on another direction. God is very forgiving, is he? Because he knows he didn't. He knows you didn't know it. But he then reveals it to you. And then you're able to make a decision. Do I want to be obedient and change? Or do I want to continue to do it because I've been doing it my whole life, you know? No, no, sin. God revealed it. Now you let go of it and you walk away from it. Now the next one was what? Transgression. That means to intentionally disobey. It means crossing the line when you know not to. You know where the line is. Don't cross that line. And you go, I only put my big toe on the other side. No, no, no. You cross the line. You cross the line. But you actually intentionally made it. That's a transgression. And then it gets worse. Then you have the iniquity. Iniquity is premeditated course of action or premeditated choice to continue to do something that is not good. It's deeply rooted in your life and you do not allow it to let go. It's right there on the borderline of being habitual. It's deeply rooted in one's life and continues to do it without repentance. And you have to be very careful of that. Because if you don't, and you think you can say, Lord, please forgive me and all this other stuff, but this one thing, it's not a big thing, God. I'm okay with this. You and I are good, right? All those little conversations we can have sometimes. That iniquity can lead to what we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. God can turn you over here to your debased mind. Your immoral, wicked, out of controlled mind. Because you've rejected him over and over and over and over. You don't want to get there. You, you understand that, right? That, that, that's not a good thing. And of course, all of you, you're, you're, not, you're not openly in sin. You're not. And transgressions, I know. I know you're not iniquity. I know this. I'm talking about other people who are listening. You know, maybe. They needed to repent. The people needed to repent. Having that sexual orgy outside down there with a golden calf and thinking it's going to be honoring and pleasing God was not good. And they did. They repented. Why? Because Moses interceded, begged for God's mercy and grace upon the people and to give them another chance. Have you been there where you've called out and said, God, I'm a sinner and have, I need mercy. I need your grace. Please forgive me. Have you? Have you? Repent. Let go of it now. No need to take it with you anywhere after this. God brought it to you. Just let it go. Move on. Be free. You have victory in Jesus. We sing that. Did you, did you know those words that you were singing? Victory in Jesus, right? You've, victory has been won. It's not like you did it. <laughs> I assure you, you and I didn't do it. Jesus did it on the cross. So we can move on with this. 
Psalms 86, 15 says, repents. It talks about here, it says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. That's the God we love. That's the God we want to know on a deeper level. Amen? And he talks about no means clearing the guilty. Because in his love and in his forgiveness, people receive it or they can reject it. But if, his, if, but if his love and his forgiveness is rejected, God will punish that which is, needs to be punished. There's repercussions from the fact that you're rejecting what God's trying to save you from. And, through, and it will go from generation to generation, this generation that will hate God because it's being taught from generation from generation to generation, three or four generations, where things are just unrepented. You're going to pass these things on. Do you understand that today the things that we're dealing with in this world is because of generation upon generation upon generation? There's no repentance. There's no forgiveness. There's no coming and surrendering to God and living and being obedient to God as a child of God. That is what we're dealing with. All the darkness that goes on around us. And the, the, Satan is having a field day. Because he knows his time is short. And if he can bring as many people down with him to hell, he'll do it. If he can destroy as many lives as he can, he'll do it. But that's why, my brothers and sisters, God has called you and I to go out into this world and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you can be set free, be forgiven, and have a, a merciful heart, a changed heart where you can show mercy and grace to people and not revenge you can. We know. We, we, I know many of you are out there sharing the good news that people do not have to live in darkness any longer. And there can be this, this transformation of changed life here as we see here. Because remember, it's his loving and gracious and giving character that does not cancel out his righteousness. It's because of the work of Jesus on the cross. The righteousness of God is satisfied by him going to the cross. God the Father had to have this dealt with, this sin. And Jesus said, I'm going to deal with it. And it's the righteous, it's going to satisfy that righteousness of God that he demands. And the grace and the mercy of God are righteously given to those who believe in Jesus. And then we see in verse 8, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and he, what? And worshipped. Do you see when you come and you say, I want to meet with God, you get there, God shows up, all you can do is, okay, how did I do with my tablets, God? Did I make them just right? Is it perfect? Did I do a good job in working this hard? I did a good work, didn't I? No. None of that is see. He just comes up, he reveals God's character, and he just dropped and worshipped God. Did you see how simple that is? Because as you come, the first and the primary reaction should be for you and for me, just like Moses, is was to simply worship God when you come into his presence. That's all you need to do. 
When we come to know who God is and all his great love that he has for you, do you know that you're loved? And when you realize that God loves you, you must understand the the most practical thing you and I can do is just worship him. Worship him more than ever, than ever before. Every day, all day, throughout the day, regardless of where you're at. You're just thanking God. Nonstop for his love for you. And his grace and his mercy. But Moses made haste to worship. He was compelled to worship God when he saw so clearly whom God was to him. And if you don't have a compelling drive to worship God, it is clear evidence. It's clear evidence we don't really appreciate who God is. You won't worship him. Do you understand that? It's not complex. It's really simple. The more you get to know God, the more you realize who he is and what he thinks of you and how much he loves you, it will drive you to worship him. And as soon as you allow sin in your life or allow compromise or you step back, guess what happens? Your worship decreases as well. It's not complex. But God hasn't changed. He's still standing there ready to hear hear you, worship him. He created you to worship him and no other. Not yourself and no one next to you. He created you to worship him. And when that happens, we see here that Moses made that haste to just bow his head toward the earth and worship. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are, what? A stiff-necked people and pardoned our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Take us as your children. Take us into your family. Take us in. Hold us tight. Protect us. Provide for us. Guide us. Instruct us. Encourage us. Everything a parent is to do with their children. They're saying, I want to be in that inheritance. I want to be part of the family. I do not want to be outside the family. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't surrendered your life to him and asked him to come into your life, then you're outside of the inheritance. You're outside of his family. But if you've given your life and you've been regenerated, been born again, you've been born into that inheritance. And that's just a decision, right? That's just a decision that you must make that you want to surrender your life to him. I know. Satan doesn't want you to do that. I know the world doesn't want you to do that. I know your own flesh is struggling to want to make that decision. But I want to encourage you. If God's speaking to you right now, don't wait to give your life to Jesus. He's waiting for you to say those words so that he can come into your life. What a beautiful moment, is it? 
even if you're a, a stiff-necked uh, person. That you're so stubborn, as, as Moses is saying. Even though we're so stubborn people. We're unresponsive people to you. Please show us your grace and your mercy. That's what he's saying to him right here. And then we see this renewed fellowship here in verse, verse 10. He says, and he said, behold, I make a covenant. I make a, a contract, a relationship here. We're going to establish, establish this here. I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing. Some, sometimes I, I see, I, I get chuckled, right? I'm reading the word of God. Do you ever come across verbiage and say, that's in the scripture? You know, it's a, an awesome thing. You would think that's a more of a common today, right? You know, that's awesome. You know, you think that would be a normal day wording here. But it's an awesome thing here. We see in the scripture that, that, that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canite, the Hittite, the Parasite, and the Hippite, and the Jebusite. He's going to make and clear all the enemies out so the people can come into the promised land and to dwell there and to do what God wants them to do. God is making a way. Yes, I know there's times in even our lives, God says, go. And he's like, well, no, I see a lot of barriers in front of me, Lord. I, I, I don't know. There's an enemy here, and there's a reason here, and I don't know about this, and I don't have the money, and I don't have this, and I don't have this lined up. We have all kinds of things that will hinder us from going and moving forward with what God's called us to do. Do you not know God is going to make a way? If he says to go and you're going to go there, he's going to provide and make a way? Do you realize that? And it says requires a step of faith to do that. If it doesn't require faith, then it's not of God. That's not of God. It requires faith. We live by faith as a child of God. We live by faith. We continue just to be obedient to what God's guiding us to do. And he miraculously, as he says, I will do marvels. I'm going to do some really cool things that you're just going to be blown away with here. And if you know some of them, as we've read ahead, right? If you've been reading ahead in the scriptures, you know the moment when he brings you into the land of Canaan and he's removed all these enemies who've been dwelling there. That's pretty marvelous, isn't it? How about the moment where they go around and they're walking around Jericho and the, and, and the walls literally just fall outwardly, which is completely against the, the, the nature of how things work. They didn't push the walls into the city to get in to conquer it. God literally, as they walked around and they blew the trumpets, you know the story, right? And the walls just come tumbling out and down. Don't you think that's pretty marvelous? Don't you think that's going to rock the nations and people? Did you hear what God did through God's people? How about, how about the one in Joshua, chapter 10, verse 12? When God stopped the sun and the moon and had it stand still. Did you know that? Not about you. The moon and the, and, the, and the sun standing still is pretty, you have to admit, Malik, that's pretty cool, isn't it? It stops, it stops everybody to stop and look and say, God is a big God. God is a marvelous God. is an awesome God. And don't you think it would cause you to worship him? 
That's who we're talking about. This is the God who you, has you in the palm of his hand and nothing can touch your life unless the Father in heaven allows it. Do you have that confidence in your relationship with God? Do you know God that well to know that he, nothing, no one, no weapon can be formed against you? I don't know about you, but that's, those, those truths that God has shown me in his character, who he is, sustains me when the enemy does form things against me and tries to come against me or my family or my church family. Do you know what I'm saying? I hope you have that settled in your heart. If not, we have some coffee time. Let's spend some time in the scripture. We'll have more talks, you know? We're gonna have, we're gonna, we have fun with this kind of stuff here. But he says he's gonna drive them out. I'm gonna take a make away, verse 12. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred uh, pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. We sang that today, did we not? Did you, did you have it come out of your mouth? Do you realize, do you see it in the scripture where we see it? He loves you. He wants no one to get in between you and his relationship. That's a good jealous. That's a good jealous, right? Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods and the one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So he says, now God is good, and he always gives us a warning, and he always gives us and tells us, this is how it can play out, people. My brothers and sisters, it can play out this way, so I'm, I'm warning you. This is not a, oh, it will never happen to me moment, Okay. When God shows you this can happen, that means it can happen to you. It doesn't happen to everybody else. It doesn't happen to me. It happens to everybody else because they're weak. You're about to fall. Just that attitude alone, you're about to fall. Because God is warning them, if you do these things... You sit there already created a golden calf and see what happened. Don't ever do that again. You go start dwelling and hanging out and, and, and your neighbors and people in this area and you accept them and, and bring their lifestyle into and around and in around you. Guess what's going to happen to your life? You're going to ruin your life. If you're hanging around people who want nothing to do with God and you're living like the world and you're living like the flesh, you allow them in your life. You're sitting there having a meal together. That's unity. That's a, that's a closeness that in a way that uh, you have to be careful. Jesus sat and ate with the sinners. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you allow them to have influence into your life, where to the point where you're now sitting there having a meal and then you're eating of their sacrifices to false gods, now you've stepped your bounds. 
let me give you a more practical way of a modern day. You sit there and you're going to go over there and you're going to witness to someone in their house and you're sitting there or you invite them in and, and, you, and, and maybe in your own house. So let's make this because I'm making this up as I go because the Lord is showing me. So it might be speaking to someone here today. So listen to me. So you invite someone in your house or you go to their house and you're sitting there we're going to have a meal. I'm going to share the gospel with them. I want them to know Christ because I want them saved because their life is falling apart and I really, really like them and I really want them to be saved. Okay, we're all good with that, right? But here's the scenario change. I'm, good, I'm, I'm jiggy with that piece until you go into their house or you bring them into your house and they bring alcohol and says, let's go get drunk. Now, the question, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to eat of their sacrifice? You're going to get drunk and sin and go against God's miss the mark? This is a transgression because you know you're not to get drunk because that's a sin. So now you're in a transgression. Are you with me? Are you someone? I'm speaking to someone here today. I know I am. You have to make a decision. I want a meal because I want to share the gospel with you, but you will not influence me to sin against my God. Get rid of the alcohol or we are parting now and I'm getting me and my barbecue and I'm leaving literally because I brought the barbecue. I'm leaving now. Why? Because your relationship with God is far greater and more important than anybody else. That's what God was saying to them right here. Because when it gets there and you start having meals and you're starting getting that intimate, it's all of a sudden a matter of time. You're going to then start doing what? You're intermarrying. Your not believing kids are going to start marrying non-believing people. Don't you think that doesn't happen today? I'm telling you, it's real. Just don't, don't get caught up in the, the wording here of the Old Testament and not understand that it's still today played out in the same. Are you making the connections of, of the examples I'm giving you here? Because I've seen it way too many times played out here over the years of the ministry. From California to, to the West Coast to the East Coast. It's no different. I'm seeing this played over and over. And it grieves me to no end to he, see and watch a parents allow their kids to dwell and, and intermingle with non-believers who are leading their kids into sin. It drives me nuts. Because I just know I'm watching a family that will come just completely un, un, unraveled, especially your kids. And as God says, it will just go from generation upon generation. It will just it'll permeate like cancer. One of the, the, the blessings of being over at the getting ready for this other church is that I'm meeting a lot of teenagers who are second, third generations, what we're talking about, of just absolute depravity. The way they think, the way they feel, the way they react, the way they, they think it's okay to live that's so contrary to the things of God. But I get excited. You know why? Because the darker it is, the brighter God is when we walk in there. When we start there and start praying down those streets and around the place and around the north, north side and all around this community, we're going to be bright lights, more brighter than ever before over there. Because I'm telling you, these kids, these families desperately need to know who Jesus is. And God has planned us over there to, for that purpose. Amen? Amen. I'm excited. I, uh, you can tell. I, hopefully you can tell. I'm, I'm wired up, man. I'm ready to go. 
I think I've had maybe a cup of coffee today. I'm not sure. So we're, we're good to go. So with verse 17, and you shall make no molten gods for yourselves. So he reminds them again, don't go back to the old things. Don't repeat the past mistakes. No more golden calf debacles that you did and, and stuff like that. that. That cannot happen anymore. Get rid of the, any idolatry in your life period. Verse 18, now we're talking about the feasts of that you're to keep. These are the things that you're to keep because it honors me and it, it keeps you very united and focused together as a, as a people and to, to, together to worship and to, to bring to light to me. And it says right here, the feast of the unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I command you in the appointed time of the month of Abib, which means is March to April time frame. That's the Abib of calendar. For the month of Abib, you came out of Egypt. So it was the same time that month where they, God brought them out of Egypt. This is the same time they're going to remember that Passover, that's then a seven-day feast afterwards of Passover, that feast of unleavened bread. And it's going to be here that the, it's just going to draw the people together. It's a symbol of here of the feast of unleavened bread that you're supposed to Get all the sin, all the yeast out of the house. They we're supposed to symbolically, not symbolically, literally clean their house from top to bottom so there was no absolute crumb of any yeast at all in their house because they had to remind, get the sin out. Get And yeast out of this house represents sin. Get it out of our lives. And in that feast for seven days is to remind them they have to get any sin in their life out of their life. And every year they celebrated that. They reminded me, there's something in my life that's not right. Reveal it to me, Lord, because I have to get rid of it. Get it out. And what happened? Verse 19. All that open the womb of mine, all the, the babies that are born, all the who open up the womb, that, that first baby, that, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and you, and if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. That's speaking of the Sabbath. They were to keep the Sabbath, right? Work six. They were to rest on that seventh day. And notice a little caveat, if you haven't seen this before. Notice in here, you shall rest. In the plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. So he adds a caveat to that. He says, you work six, you rest seven, and you can't use the excuse that it's during the most busiest time of your life of plowing and harvesting, which is the two busiest times for a farmer, right? That's when you're trying to get the stuff in and then you're trying to get the stuff before it gets rotted, right? You cannot use this excuse because you're busy why you can't take a day of rest and worship God. So he had to remind them, don't you think you can get really busy now and think you can justify not spending time in rest and worshiping me. No, no, no. And you shall observe the feast of the week. So there's the second feast they were to do of the first fruits of the week, wheat, wheat harvest. And the third one is the feast of in gathering at the um, year's end. That's an October, uh, November time, September, October time frame. Three times in the year. All your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Notice that. I hope you didn't miss that. He says, you're going to have all the men 
of the entire nation of Israel are going to come to the Holy Land, right? They're going to be coming to one place in unity. But don't worry. Even though all the men who protect the land and protect their families, don't worry. When I bring you here, I am going to cast out any enemy. No one's going to be able to touch your land, take over your land, hurt your family. I'll protect everyone for you to come and worship me. God can do that, right? Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So like I said, three times a year, you no worry, you be obedient, you come, even though the enemies and everyone else would love your beautiful land and everything you've been putting and planting and ready to harvest. Don't worry, I got this, I got your family, I've got your, your livelihood, you keep worshiping me here. And you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, no, no leaven, no sin here, no yeast is going to be involved here, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. Remember, that was one of the commandments back early on, that when you have a feast, everything had to be completely consumed, and nothing could be left over, even though you really liked the meat, it was really tasty, and you say, I want to save this for tomorrow and later on. No, you can't do that. They had to completely be consumed on that Passover meal. The lamb had to be completely gone. 26, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Another commandment you're not to do. The pagans used to do these ritual things and taking where you're putting the young, uh, boil a young goat in its mother's milk, and it was not to happen. And he's reminding of the things that he had already taught earlier on, if you remember Nexus. Go back and read if you don't remember that. And go back through those things that they were doing. And again, God is just reminding them of these things. Especially the, all that open the, open the womb or mind statement in the very beginning. Because God repeated the laws refer, referring to that firstborn decision. They must be given to him. They are to, to turn over that firstborn son to them to, for the service of God and to be for him. Him. Uh, but it, again, all that with the Sabbath, keeping the Passover, I mean the, the feast, the three feasts, three times a year, they're to come, gather together there, not to, uh, to repeat what I told you not to do, which was this, this pagan fertility rituals where you're putting the young goat in, in the mother's milk. Don't, none of that. Don't, don't practice these things that this worldly people are doing. We don't do those things. And he reminds them then. Because of this covenant that I have with you, this is how you behave. As a child of God, this is how you, you behave. You don't behave like the world and the things of this world. You behave the way because you're a child of God. This is how you behave. And that's why he's referring to him. In verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So we see here, after all this time and 40 days, he's spending time. No food, no water. He's fasting and everything up there. God takes his finger and writes it on this again to prepare him to go back down the mountain with these tablets. Now, it's interesting as I see this and I read this, again, it, he 40 days of fasting. I don't know what time frame it was between when he came down, dropped those those uh, tablets and broke them and, and just had a freaked out on the people and talked to Aaron and all that. What is going on here? What that time frame? And then he back up the hill. He went there. Whatever that time frame is, right? Did he eat? Did he drink during that period of time? Did he get refreshed? Because he went back up a 
for another 40 days of fasting and nothing to eat and drink. That is amazing that God sustained him through all that. It really is. It is amazing when I read that. But he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments once again. And then we see in verse 29, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, then Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, uh, behold, the skin of his face shone, that they were afraid to come near him. <laughs> Can you see? Do you see the renewing here? Do you see the second time on the mountaintop experience how much deeper in the presence of God it even reflected on his face? His face shined because he was in the presence of God. Ooh, I don't know about you, wouldn't that be sweet? This close communion that Moses had with God. God's physically affected Moses' face with a shine, a glow that was a reflection of the presence, spending time with God. His face had this shining appearance, it says here. And the leaders, Aaron and the leaders, and the people as a whole, when he came off that mountain, they're like, okay, what is going to be, what is Moses going to be like when he comes off the mountain again? Right? He didn't say how long he was going to be gone, did he? Nor in the scripture says, I'll be back. So don't touch the mountain. Don't come near the mountain like last time. Don't let the animals get on the mountain. God said, don't, don't come near this. You can't even come close. You stay away. But he didn't say, I'm going to be another 40 days, did he? But this time, they didn't wonder where he was. Remember last time they used the excuse? Where is our leader? Where's Moses? And we need someone to help. But nah. Excuses. But he didn't, didn't do any of that. He was another 40 days, and when he comes back, all they can see is a face glowing on Moses that they've never seen before, and it scared them. Do you know that happens? I had to ponder on this. Why, how does that apply today? Do you know sometimes you can scare people who don't know who God is? Because of your presence, you've been in prayer and in the word, and there's something about you that for those who reject it or just don't want to be around, they don't want to be around you. Because you're just, there's something about you that they cannot handle. And you didn't say a word. The ones who really want to be around you are the ones who are seeking after God and they just don't know how to do it. They'll be drawn to you. Do you know that? How do you witness to people? Be in the presence of God, worshiping God. Just, just allow the Spirit of God as the light shines out through you. Don't be under a basket. But to let the shine, what? Bear from your life. You can... He, he had the shine on his face, but don't you and I as a believer have the, 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 the Spirit of God shining through our life? Are you with me? Are you tracking me? I'm like, give me two more minutes here. Are you tracking with me? 
The more you spend time with God, the brighter you become for him. Some will repel and don't want to be around you. You will scare them. But others will be gravitated to you because they want what you have. They want whatever is, is your, whatever, what are you taking? Is it your new vitamins? No. Is it a new workout? No. Is that your new yoga pose? No. Is I'm spending more and more time getting to know my God at a deeper level. I now know my Savior. That's what they see. But they scared the leaders. They scared the people, and he got, Moses had to call them, verse 31. Moses called them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them, come on, you got to come back. I'm safe. I don't have a plague. You, it's okay to come near me. It's okay. Don't be scared. This is just, I've just been in the presence of God, and I have something to tell you from God I want to share with you. And Finally, the leaders came back first. Notice that. Afterwards, you know, the, the, the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with him. And then after that, everyone's like, okay, the rulers weren't torched. They didn't die. They didn't get consumed. They got too close to him. No, it's safe to come. So right there, verse 32, after the, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them, the, uh, them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. So amazing re-entry re into the people. He came right back in as a leadership. Should. He's coming right back in, even though he had this wonderful experience. He didn't even know he was glowing. They had to tell him he's glowing, and they scared him, but he had to convince them, come back, come back. I want to tell you everything God showed me and told me. And then notice here, verse 33, when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put on a mask on his face. It's a veil. We'll go, we'll go with veil, right? He put on a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the, face, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Right there on time. But let me do what a pastor does and we'll say, I got three more points. No, kidding. So let's wrap up here. Moses, we would initially look at verses 33 through 35 and say, oh, he's covering for the sake of other people. Right? But we know in the scriptures if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, we see Paul saying clearly why Moses covered himself with a veil each time he went out to see the people. And it says, Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel would not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. What was happening is, as when he spent time with God, he glowed. The longer he spent time away from God, talking to him and sharing what the commandments with God, the, the shine started to fade away. So he didn't want to show the people that it was going away. He would cover himself while he talked to the people so that they wouldn't think any other than 
say, what, what's going on? Or be confused, or what, is God leaving you? No, no, he just covered it because he wanted to not be a barrier in the fact that he needed to, they needed to hear the commandments. And so we know in the scriptures what was the reason why. The presence of God, uh, remember, the, the, was showing right up there at that tent, I'm, I'm assuming, is, it, it, we can assume, there in Exodus 33-7, 33, uh, where Moses set up his tent and, and the Shekinah would come, God would meet him right there at the tent. There he is at the tent, he would go in, he'd spend time, he would glow, then he'd put the mask on and come out and talk to the people because it would quickly fade when he walked away and spent time away from God here, it appears. But we see this. Great chapter. Love the chapter. We could keep going, but we're not going to. Let's pray.